complexity takes on a few angles and there's there's nuance to complexity there's there's i would say um organic complexity which happens as a result of uh, hopefully valuable things happening within your business right and then those complexities um you know are hopefully beneficial and, and have a feedback loop to help grow your business there, there's there's also self-inflicted complexity um which often happens when you uh, maybe are too smart for your own good welcome to the distributed truth podcast Today's B2B SaaS teams all share one thing in common, fragmented customer data. Marketing, sales, customer success, finance, and product teams need better approaches to unified customer data. What does it look like to be data-driven rather than data-inhibited? What is the link between investing in unified customer data and revenue growth? How can we create consistent customer experiences through unified customer data? Join us here at the Distributed Truth Podcast as we interview a wide array of go-to-market revenue operations, technology, and data leaders, all dedicated to solving the problem of fragmented customer data. Hello, and welcome to the Distributed Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Dunn, Growth Marketing at Syncery, and with me is Joe Reese, speaker, podcaster, and co-author of The Fundamentals of Data Engineering. Thank you for joining us, Joe. Hi. How's it going? It's going good. Um, you you uh, stylize yourself as a recovering data scientist. What what does that mean? Um, well, I was a data scientist, and now I'm in recovery. Um, so yeah, Why do you need recovery. Tough, tough. It was a tough road, a really hard lifestyle. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, there's uh, where to begin. I, you know, I got into data science. So to you know, well before it was you know, called data science. And uh, yeah, when the term became popularized, you know, in the early 2010s, I, I noticed there was a big move towards, um, you know, people wanting to be data scientists and no small part due to the, uh, the, the HBO article on, um, you know, data science is a sexy job of the 21st century and everything, you know, that, that captured the public's imagination. But, you know, I, I think early on what I recognized was, you know, with the, with the rise of data science was also the, um, uh, a lot of things sort of, um, I would say being ignored, whether willfully or not. And that was just building a solid foundation of, you know, best practices, um, you know, it, uh, I guess buy-in from the business uh, and, and, you know, and also just um, probably a proper infrastructure in place to support data science. Right. So mm-hmm. the common trope is eight, data scientists spend 80, 90% of their time getting cleaning data and, or twiddling their thumbs and trying to find projects to do. Uh, and I think after seeing that repeatedly, um, you know, I, I think very early on recognize that there's probably a, a different way uh, to do data than just hiring a bunch of data scientists um, kind of off the bat and expecting them to do a magical data science stuff. So that's why I became a recovering data scientist, I think very early on. In fact, I'm looking at a meme I was just tagged in today uh, where um, the, uh, yeah, somebody had a, uh, it's Homer Simpson trying to go to heaven and then he uh, ends up in hell. Um, and that yeah, I think path I to heaven that. was data science and the path to hell is data engineering. And that's uh, somebody, my friend Vin commented that was pretty much a resume several years ago. And I, I tend to agree with that. So, um, I uh, like to spend a lot of time on blind to to understand what data teams are feeling 
right now, yeah. especially right. And I've seen a lot of them talk about, um, yeah, you know, the 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 developer persona likes to go on the anonymous version of Glassdoor, right? Um, the a lot of them are talking about getting laid off and having a difficult time finding new roles, right? Um, it would follow in my head, logically, based on what you described, that we just saw a decade of a, a certain approach to data that got very popular. Um, and that's changing now. Do you agree? It's changing, and I, and I don't know where it goes yet. That's kind of one of the big question marks, but it is certainly changing. And it's been changing for a bit. Um, you know, I think even before the uh, the downturn, I would say, you know, the last few years have sort of seen the... Um, I would say some second guessing about data science and, uh, you know, and, you know, an embracement of, uh, data engineering and I would say roles that are ancillary and supportive of data science, you know, uh, after spending a lot of money on data scientists and seeing projects fail, I, I would guess that companies would either cancel the data science projects or, or try and find a, maybe a different way of making that succeed. It's not to say that, you know, I'm not discounting data science at all. I think it's, it's awesome when it's um, applied correctly, but um, the order of operations is typically um, completely out of whack. So, and I think a lot of yeah, companies are starting you, to see this. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I've experienced it, but let, would you mind unpacking just a couple things for listeners, right? Um, what is a data scientist? And, and what do you mean by that order of operations getting out of whack? It's a good question. I, I, I still struggle with the definition of a data scientist. And I, and I would actually, uh, if I, oh, I'll make a, um, a, a public service announcement. If, if anyone has a good definition of a data scientist, please let me know. Um, I think that's, that's one of the struggles is like, what is it? Right. So, I mean, there's Drew Conway's Venn diagram of data science, you know, back in the day, uh, it was can't remember exactly what it was uh but you know it's like maybe stat skills hacking skills and like uh you know domain skills or something like that nunchuck skills um but you know and dj patil actually when he came up with the term data scientist you know i, I read an interview with him several years ago and he said that they intentionally left it undefined it was a term but it wasn't a role per se it more described uh sort of this new era of you know, maybe applying scientific techniques to data for business purposes and so forth, you know, with the rise of big data and so forth, um, you know, being able, able to do something with data was, um, you know, of utmost importance, uh, you know, when, when DJ Patil was at LinkedIn, for example. And I thought that was really interesting because he himself intentionally didn't give it uh, a very concrete definition. And so, you know, if the originator of the term hasn't given it a definition, and if we as an industry are still struggling with, the, with what the definition is, and, um, I suppose you you get what you what you're seeing, which is yeah, lots people, of are, people are hired. Yeah. Well, people are hired for for a role for which there isn't a clear definition, right? Whereas mm -hmm. if you if you looked at uh, you know at the definition of a, uh, a, a um, I don't know a brain surgeon or a you know neurosurgeon or a cardiovascular doctor or a dentist, for example, a dentist is very clear like what they do, right? And there's dental surgeons and <laughs> oral surgeons and that kind of stuff and orthodontists and it's very these are very discrete fields obviously mm. these fields have been around for a long time but i also i also think it speaks to the immaturity of the data field and not immature in a pejorative sense but just immature in the fact that it hasn't been around that long and so you know practices um you know and and definitions are, are still you know, and, and i guess clarity in general is still tbd so yeah i'd like to offer a, f a few 
things I've seen and get, get a reaction, right? I mean, data scientist typically has meant I'm interacting with someone who is excellent at uh, either just applied computational math or maybe a- actually a statistician or mm-hmm. physicist by, by past life, right? And then shifted into these roles. I think the um, it's interesting you point out that there's there's been a, a burgeoning of supporting roles, right? In order to do data science and, and analytics, now you've got data engineer, data architect, um, though data architects... They've been around for ages. Yeah, they've been, right. Um, And same with ETL and BI engineers and developers. They've been around for decades, too. I think it's just a repackaging of, you know, what's kind of always been the case. But there has been a a veritable explosion, right, of of, uh, companies investing in these roles uh, in past years um, and investing in tools to support these roles, not to mention the VC uh, market around data stack uh, Mm -hmm. components getting quite, quite massive. Um, it doesn't feel like it's figured it out. If I use the phrase modern data stack, is that okay? What are you? I mean, yeah. I mean, I cringe a bit at it, but it's fine. Tell me why you cringe. I think it's overblown. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, modern data stack is, is really a, uh, for me, it's, it's, it's a simplified consumption model of something again that has been around for ages, which is uh, data warehousing. The fact that you can consume things in a, uh, um, you know, on page go cloud-based format that makes things more convenient. But nothing has nothing's really changed, if you know what I mean. Like if you if you if you're going to tell me that the modern Still data tables. stack is a completely new way of doing things, I'll have to question you know your your sense of history in this field and your perspective. Mm-hmm. And maybe there are some good arguments that I'm not aware of, but. To me, it's it's nothing new. Um, but what had happened, obviously, over the last decade is, you know, interest rates were zero and data was the new oil, so to speak. And so what do you think is going to happen? You know, there's there's a lot of companies that sprung up and I would say a lot of um, money flowing in. And, you know, and with that, you need some good marketing. And, you know, modern data stack is maybe a good way of describing a data stack, uh, you know, that so sort of arose over 10 years ago with the rise of redshift and so forth. So I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Um, but what I, what I have noticed though, what, you know, so I've been in data for, you know, uh, over 20 years now, right. And working in a capacity of, I'd say you know, quote, data scientist for much of that, even though it wasn't called that, but you know, what, what back in the day, what I know, the big difference between then and now is um, if you were working with data, it was to do something that the business needed you to do. It wasn't like you're hired just for like eye candy, right? Like, oh, look at our data scientist over there. He's like so smart and so cool, um, you know, can solve anything. I mean, that wasn't the case back then. It was like, you know, you're hired to just make operations better for you know, whatever that is, marketing or supply chain or whatever you have to be working in back in the day, right? And so there wasn't this, um, you know, focus on data as a field so much that it was just the outcomes you'd be doing right um and, and i think yeah. that really flipped on its head where it, it it kind of boggles my mind that you know as I, as I always joke back in the day you know if you've ever watched that movie office space um like data people were much like the guy milton the guy with the red stapler who was like shoved into the basement and kind of like forgotten about probably was i don't think it was getting paid either or something like that but anyway i don't think data people were that much different back then you know I mean, it wasn't a popular field um, I mean, I finished my degree in math and I mean, my options back then was like, you know, go teach, 
um, you know, go work in the government. Uh, you could become an actuary, which is what I originally wanted to do, or you, know, you could go work as an analyst, or you can go be, you know, go wait tables somewhere. Um, there weren't a ton of options, but, um, you know, this is also following on the dot com crash too. And, and so the, you mm. know, it, but data, it's interesting seeing, I think, how popular data is now. But, but then I look back, then I kind of look at where the field is and I, I'm, and I'm like, well, as a you know, as a field as an aggregate, like what have we actually accomplished over the last ten years? The same questions were we've asked back then are still being asked today. Uh, do I get value from this data, and is the data right? Is it believable? Yeah. Those are the two things. Data quality is still crippling so many initiatives too. Yeah, to your point about spending eighty ninety percent of time cleaning, you bring up a ton of points, Joe. Uh, I think I thought of like five questions, so I forgot four. Oh, but we'd uh, ask them. <laughs> Yeah, man. Um, no, this is great. I think the, um, well, I actually used to be part of a small consultancy, sort of analytics as a service, really early snowflake, really early looker. Nice. Um, and super fun projects, really hard to convince because when it's a consultancy, right. And you're like, we're bringing this heavy powered stack and it's expensive for us to maintain a run as an instance for a customer or a client you know, they look at the dollar sign and they ask that question right up front before they sign the check. Right. Which is a bit different than it being run internally. Right. Where you, oh, sorry. You cut out in the last, like, uh, or something happened. Yeah. I, I didn't get the last uh, 20 seconds right. of what we'll you cut said. It at 12 minutes. <laughs> no worries. And then I'll start here and again in a second. Okay. okay. Yeah. Jumping back in. Uh, so, you know, when you're offering like a data stack as a service insights as a service, if you will, uh, the cost of the data stack, it's on the contract to sign with us, right? And so the mm -hmm. question, what's the ROI, was the upfront of every conversation. Yep. And I saw firsthand how when we go after smaller companies or smaller impact potentials, it didn't even make sense to, to spend on analysis, basically, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but then we'd go sit with the CMO of Whole Foods and yeah, there's huge things that could be done there, right? Yeah. Um, I think the the data scientist as eye candy is a pretty provocative phrase, but I can't disagree, right? Like I've, I've been in situations where data scientists have been frankly misused, uh, particularly having been a marketer, yeah. uh, you know, there, there's nothing a data scientist can do for B2B marketing unless you're a massive ad spend or, you know, you need a mix model, right? Like the, you need some really good excuses, but, but there are good places for it, right? Like product usage analytics is, seems ripe for experimentation. Maybe hopefully by this point, we would have baked some more templates for usage events. Right. And yeah, and we haven't though. So warehouse and analytics stack is still the way to do it. Right. Well, I mean, what's interesting is, you know, the, the rise of, I would say that, you know, the quote, modern data stack, you know, along with the rise of just, I think a lot of people into the field, what that means is you have a lot of tools that, that are seemingly easy to use and they certainly are, and they're certainly cheap if you know how to use them, uh, to, to some degree. What, what I find though, is there's, um, because there's people don't have the experience or the history there's a lot of uh, reinvention of the wheel in, in a lot of cases. Um, and I would say a lot of, uh, um, 
you know, I, I would I would say things almost being done backwards in in, in some sense, uh, because again, you don't have the context of maybe how things were done prior. But but it, it's not like marketing is a new thing in the world. Marketing's been around for a really long time, right? Um, advertising has been around for I don't even know how long, a long time. But the, the um, but it feels like with a lot of new entrants, you know. But but so the, what 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 seems to be missing is like the domain expertise part. Right. So if you're hired as a data scientist to go work in a, you know, uh, marketing and maybe come up with a marketing mix model, for example. Well, I mean, you, you may have the um, maybe the raw tools, you know, the raw skill set to do this, perhaps. Right. So, quote, data science skills, whatever those are. Um, but you certainly you know, will need to catch up on the domain expertise. But then it's a cold start mm -hmm. problem, it seems, because, you know, I, I would say somebody who comes at this from a marketing perspective and then picks up like data science skills would actually have a much stronger impact on the business because they sort of know what the outcome needs to be versus you know you come with uh you know essentially just raw um you know tactical skills and then you're trying to mm -hmm. figure out the domain it's it's sort of a mixed bag but what i see over and over again and, and you know i had a consultancy too and it's it's over you go to these companies and you know some people figure it out but in a lot of cases it's you know basic questions you would know to ask from day one about a domain people are just like well how do you know you're basically trying to apply the math instead of understanding the, the problem you're trying to solve. Mm. And this is not the same thing. Yeah. So you're, um, no, you're totally right. And there's also the component where, because you have to string so many easy to use, cheap to start tools together, you actually end up spending most of your time keeping the tech stack working rather mm -hmm. than analyzing data in a way that's meaningful. Yeah. Uh, we, the one thesis I have, Joe, I'd be curious your take on is, you know, the, a lot of the data team concepts started under the product team because of usage events, right? And, oh, we're software companies, so we should analyze the way people are using our software. And that makes sense to me, right? Mm -hmm. Brings up the point still of like, how much do you reinvent the wheel on user events, right? Um, I'm sure there are some standardizations out there that are great. But then the C-level wants to understand, hey, what's happening in my business? I've heard about these things called dashboards where I get to see what's happening in my business with my users and with my go-to-market. Who can help me get to a dashboard? And then the product data team takes it. Problem is, then it becomes a question of just yanking stuff out and even calling the go-to-market stack the source systems, even though those are mm -hmm. customer experience just as much as the product right. is, right? Mm -hmm. Does that resonate with you? It does. Um, I think it's just, uh, I mean, more systems available isn't a great thing. In fact, I, I prefer the old days when things were a lot simpler in some ways. Um, but it is what it is, right? And so, you know, the world is seemingly more complex, um, you know, in, in a lot of ways. But complexity takes on a few angles. And there's, there's nuance to complexity. There's, there's I would say, um, organic complexity which happens as a result of, of hopefully valuable things happening within your business, right? And then those complexities, um, you know, are hopefully beneficial and, and have a feedback loop to help grow your business. There, there's there's also self-inflicted complexity, um, which often happens when you uh, maybe are too smart for your own good and, uh, you know, trying to overcomplicate things. And this mm -hmm. is... When these two things intersect, it becomes strange to try and disentangle uh, the the mess that uh, is created. And so, uh, and, and ironically, it's it's very smart people that create this mess, mm. right? And then 
you have to figure out how you're going to get out of this. And so then it's a question of, well, um, if you're trying to figure out how to like take apart a, uh, you know, a ticking time bomb, like which wire is it that I need to, mm. you know, snap. So this thing doesn't blow up, but I, I wonder Joe, how much we have to, uh, blame certain vendors in the early days like Tableau for over promising value from a, a tool that required so much support to get to just charts and graphs. I mean, the, the cost, when I think about the like total cost of ownership for most basic dashboards, that's something cringeworthy to me, right? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Think of the, think of the amount of money you're spending on licensing salaries, opportunity costs as well. So I call that total opportunity cost of ownership. Um, but it's, no, it's crazy. In fact, I'm, I'm about done with this book, um, uh, from Dave McComb. It's called software wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, I highly recommend it. It goes into basically why is it that we've been struggling as an industry with the same, uh, problems, um, mm-hmm. over and over again. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, a lot of it is uh, a lot of it is, is self inflicted by vendors. I mean, but I wouldn't say this is it's not a problem for the vendors. This is maybe by design in some ways. And so, you know, I'm not trying to get conspiratorial, but I mean, interesting. You know, it, but it, it is true that vendors do like you to be locked into their services, and and so. But then it's also, but he has an interesting point in the book where he looks at the cost of software and the cost of, um, uh, um you know, just hardware and over time that's Mm -hmm. gone down. Right. Um, subsequently the the cost of services and salaries have gone up. And Mm -hmm. so it's an interesting dichotomy if you think about this, because you'd expect that the software would allow you to gain more productivity, um, you know, and do more with less, which in some cases is certainly true. But in a lot of cases, what happens is you get staff bloat Mm -hmm. while you have, uh, you know, more and more seemingly um, inexpensive, easier to use tools. So it's, it's an interesting paradox. Yeah. Yeah. It's Sacra, I don't know if you're familiar, they, they're a, a VC research hybrid. Um, they published a really interesting article last September called the, the fat data layer in B2B SaaS. And they visualize it in a pretty simplistic way back in 2012, where you had, you know, you've got your like automation and outreach engagement stack that's got, you know, email marketing in it and, you know, your CMS and all that stuff. And your CRM and data stack is a tiny little sliver beneath it. And that's inverted now where you have a very thin layer of tools that actually engage with the customer and a very thick layer of tools that support that engagement. And I think you'd say the same with Teams, right? If, if you were to look at the number of customer facing people 10 years ago, in most, let's say, hypergrowth unicorns, right, 1,000, 1,500 people um, versus non-customer facing, mm-hmm. right? Wh- which means that the cost of customer interactions, engagement, satisfaction, and revenue have skyrocketed. And and we're seeing that come home to roost, I think, frankly, yep. right, with oh, yeah. with the um, the current situation around. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I mean it's it's and it's tragic to see, but this is part of the, the the order of the universe, I suppose, and it is what it is. And so, you know, I've been through many of these things at this point. I'm a lot older than I look. Um, you know, uh, it, it it sucks to see it, but um, this is what happens when you had an era of uh, again cheap money, 
carpet bombing the economy and uh you know everybody with a bright mm -hmm. idea gets a company or gets a job at a, you know a company that got a lot of money and mm -hmm. then uh you know so because i you know I, I would you know i would look at a lot of these these companies um you know really the big tech companies especially i'm like wow you have a lot of people i remember a friend of mine at google was saying they're hiring i can't remember if it was a What's been like a, I don't know. He said a thousand people a week, but he, I don't know. Maybe he's right. Maybe maybe he exaggerates a lot. I don't know. But it was whatever he said. I was just like, what do they all do at the end mm -hmm. of the day? You know, why do you need all these people? Um, you know, so but that was just one of them, right? But you look at the the number of um, job of openings at these companies, and it's just mm -hmm. it's bananas. So either, but then of course you look at the the um, the PE ratios, the, the price to earnings ratios of a lot of these companies, and then you'd say, okay, so. You're already expected to pull, you know, if I, if I take your price earnings ratios at, at face value, your, your earnings per share, if you even had them, right, they could be negative earnings, in which case mm -hmm. you wouldn't matter. Um, but even so, you know, say that it was, um, you know, 20, 50, 100. Okay, so now I, I have 100 years. I, I, I'm taking a claim. I'm taking a, a bet that it's going to take you 100 years for you to, uh, for me to, uh, to, to recoup those earnings, right? Um, it. So, I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, it's like there's a there's a lot of assumptions baked in here. Yeah, right. Some pretty so aggressive you, ones. Yeah, you're gonna absolutely. have to grow really hard and and for a really long time. Uh, but you know, and so I don't know. I tend to be a bit more conservative on things. Um, so I, I just yeah, you know, that's one reason I probably didn't start a venture funded product company. I just I could, yeah, you could see the writing on the wall. I mean, it wasn't like the. Hmm. when everyone and their mother is like going out and starting a company you're just like well i mean is this a good time to start one or not if you can if you can get if you're lucky enough to get the exit you, you certainly look like a genius but um you know when it when the rates come you know start going back up again yeah. i mean it, it is which is, it is inevitable so. yeah and joey i think to to bring it back to the data world right i, I mean i've been at two hypergrowth unicorns where there were more than 40 data people who Jeez. i would say were were uh not focused on product analysis. Mm. They were focused on uh, BI or, you know, yeah, basically BI. Um, and if both of these companies, 30 marketers, 40, 50 salespeople, um, and one go-to-market operations person who mm. essentially was tasked with supporting them on tools, processes, and data. Interesting. And I see this a lot, frankly, and you actually see it if you go to LinkedIn sales navigator right now and you, you, you put in 50 to 1000 employee size mm -hmm. software industry, and you type in a variety of sales operations, marketing operations, revenue operations, et cetera. You have about 6,000 people in the U S if you flip mm -hmm. that and change the same sample to look at data titles, analytics titles, BI titles, you have 41,000. That's crazy, right? They made a bet. Yeah. I think I think this the startup world made a big bet on like you said data's the oil data analytics teams mm -hmm. could bring us a lot. And I think the the biggest problem I have with that is now I see so many people out there talking about like data contracts, but I've I've had this debate with a few. That does nothing for the go-to-market operations and efficiency. It, it's purely about making the warehouse cleaner. Um it doesn't actually help Salesforce NetSuite HubSpot, et cetera, be more productive for these teams that desperately need to operate efficiently. Um, I mean, yeah. it, 
it's an interesting observation. I mean, with, with data contracts, you know, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm good friends with the, the people who promote these, uh, you know, the contracts. So I, I'll, uh, I'll say out of the argument. In fact, I, I, I support from a tactical level. I do support the the notion of a contract. I think it's a prerequisite to a lot of other things that will need to happen um, from a data infrastructure standpoint. Um, but to your other point about lots of data scientists, what I had noticed uh, as well was um, uh, there was a tendency for companies to sort of I guess hire a bunch of data scientists and just mothball them uh, because that made it look like they had a data science initiative. And then that made it easier to raise money because it's like, well, we're, we're doing AI because we have all these data scientists. Therefore, you know, why wouldn't you give us more money? And so that, I thought that was really interesting, but, but to tie it back to what you're saying, you know, the, um, there was, there was definitely a misallocation of resources. I, I could tell where, you know, the data scientists were typically focused on, um, as you say, BA, which if BA is like, you know, if that has like an outcome that, that helps, you know, product, for example, then sure. I think that's awesome. Um, uh, but it, that's, but again, it, it's, you got to also look at it. Did what, What's the intention behind the hiring? And so that's, it's an unknown, right? Because you, you couldn't go ask every single company, why did you hire data scientists unless you did a survey and they'd probably give you wrong answers anyway. So it wouldn't yeah. matter. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I think a lot yeah. of times BI, um, at worst, there are definitely, like you said, great ways to use it. But if you think about the the cost, opportunity cost of ownership, as you mentioned, the total cost of ownership, uh, that that dashboard better produce some multi million dollar outcome decisions, right? Uh, and and ultimately, it, it sort of acts like an executive assistant in the form of charts and graphs. For, for leaders yeah right? i mean i think my friend ollie hughes had a he he's from count he had a good point about dashboards where it's after a while the dashboard is there more to to show the status quo and then you would in order to get value from a dashboard it, it's like you would have to be prone to making a different decision in order for the dashboard to be useful to you if you know what i mean because that's the mm -hmm. only thing that would trigger a new type of analysis is when you have a different question which makes sense mm -hmm. on the surface the the other you know facet of, of a dashboard is um you can get dashboard fatigue as well where you're, you're mm -hmm. so used to seeing things and um you know the way they are that uh, when something odd happens um you know hopefully you're paying attention to it but mm -hmm. most of the times when i you know i i've been doing reporting and dashboarding for for ages and and you know back in the day one thing we would do is just stop sending reports to people and See who notices, and you'd <laughs> be surprised. Control test, yeah. Yeah, um, some people like it. You know, some people notice, and some people don't care. And at which point, they're like, mm. I guess we don't need that one anymore. So mm. there's yeah. wisdom in that, right? I mean, <laughs> it's no different than marketing tests, right? Well, but you, I think um, you apply the same thing to, to data teams too. If you, if you, uh, mm. I, I think that there's always a the common trope that uh, you know we need to add value as an industry, as a data industry. But the the, the question I would have is if you um, if your data team disappeared, you know, what, what would it matter? Hmm. So that's an maybe. interesting question, Joe. That's an interesting question. Um, I'm, I'm curious, I've talked to a couple of RevOps leaders who in their past lives, in order to bridge the sort of like product data, go to market ops chasm, brought data expertise onto their RevOps teams, BI engineers, mm -hmm. data engineers, onto their RevOps teams so that they could function, right, with with data, high-quality yeah. data, great insights. What can a head of data do to, 
to enable go-to-market efficiency right now. Mm. Definitely tie uh, you yourself know. to the sales function if possible. I mean, the, when I when I where I've seen data uh, be successful, it's when it's the feedback loop is short. Uh, it's tied to a, a, a tangible outcome, so that could be revenue, that could be supply chain. Where it's like the cost of screwing up is pretty great. Um, when the stakes are high, that's where data matters, right? And I can't mm. think of a I can't think of a sales org in the world that wouldn't want analytics on. Yeah it's data right you'd be insane like oh no i just i can sort of intuit how sales are going to be like nobody ever says that mm. they do but right you got to be able to back it up someday and, and, and in fact your 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 gut instinct is usually validated or not by the outcome that you get in the form of a number it's, it's strange how that works um so yeah. um so you know that to me is like where a data leader should tie themselves and i was talking to somebody the other day but it's like you know it, the, the the best the best outcomes for data are always those that are attached again to things that are just driving outcomes and hopefully, you know, in a way that where the feedback loop is really short. So you can iterate, right? Again, data is all about hypothesis, um, testing, reevaluating your assumptions and so forth, right? If it, if it weren't, then you wouldn't need uh, data professionals because you could just, that'd be a heuristic. You can just program that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you need the ability to be flexible in, in your assumptions. And that's where I think, you know, that, that's the role that I used to be in back in the day was doing like sales, marketing and operations, you know, uh, you know, data stuff, I suppose. Right. And that helped drive mm -hmm. the company forward, but, you know, in, in a lot of ways. And, but again, we didn't call it data science back then. It was just like, you know, you're just helping people, you're helping these functions operate better. Right. Mm -hmm. That's a big difference. It wasn't the, the, um, there wasn't this like you know huge fascination with oh it's a data person it's like you know, you're just, mm. you're just there to help so I hope I hope people just get back to basics like that because that's again where that's that's where it matters yeah yeah so. I think that's a great point we just um, released our own visualization layer at Syncury and I just saw a demo of cross system outreach in Salesforce so email activity email sequence by revenue mm -hmm. I mean what sales leader wouldn't want that and there's right. no there, there's no easy way for sales leaders to get that, right? Yeah, because like that's have, cool, right? You have a tool that just does shoots emails automatically to do sales at scale, and you have a tool that tracks revenue by opportunity by account, and getting those to talk to each other is hard. Great, yeah. great example with sales. I also think CS, right? Very underserved organization. Yep, for sure. CS operations is a rare title. If you can feed them product signals, right? If you can feed them. Um, with good insights and also help the leadership understand if they're looking at cutting sales right now or cutting CS, what's the real impact of that? Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's, that's a difficult question to answer, but it also takes some serious data science, shall we say, to, to take a stab at it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And other areas I think data science can be effective too, is if, again, if you're working in product and it, you know, and the features you're working on are directly related to, you know, something that a customer uses again, where I've seen it again, it just comes back to like feedback loops, tight feedback loops, you know, uh, associated with tangible outcomes. That's about as simple as it gets and, and yeah. about that hard too. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause it takes focus, it takes alignment. Yeah. It takes a, a bias towards efficient efficiency with outcomes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Joe, this has been super fun. Um, I think we can go ahead and wrap. You had a lot of great, nuggets some definitely um hot takes <laughs> but uh as an author i guess you're you're uh you know 
you're allowed to have have those strong perspectives. <laughs> no, no, I only have lukewarm takes, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, no, it's been it's been a fun chat. Um, yeah, it's a uh, good good podcast. Um, you know, good guests so far. So yeah, wish you the best of luck with it. It's cool. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thanks for for coming on, um, and we'll wrap. Thank you for listening to the Distributed Truth podcast. Check out our other episodes or visit Syncary.com to learn more about unified customer data. That's S-Y-N-C-A-R-I, Syncary.com. Thank you and have a great day.